Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. Now, in the week that was in it, we had the National Ploughing Championships, which were very mucky up in Rathaniska, but they went ahead and we had three great days, irrespective of what the weather was like. So I will have some interviews that I took from various people at the Ploughing Championships coming up later in the programme my first guest this morning is Podrick Fogarty. And Podrick is a climate action and sustainability advisor with Chagas. And he's based in the Nina office. Good morning, Podrick, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jim. Okay, Podrick, before we go any further and uh, considering your new Tipperary, can you give me a little bit of a background on yourself? Yeah, sure. I suppose I spent the last five years in Kamalak as a as a dairy advisor working with dairy farmers in the east part of Limerick there. Mm-hmm. Um so um I suppose when the Fine Post uh, advisor programme was launched, um I suppose the option came came up for me to, to move back to, to, to Nina. So mm-hmm. I took that and um started in started in June there in Nina in the in the Fine Post Advisor programme. Okay. So your with the Signpost Advisory Programme, will you tell me what is this programme all about? Yeah, so Chagas have appointed 21 advisors across the country um, to work with farmers to, to try and reduce emissions on farm. So it's available to all farmers across all enterprises, um, both clients to Chagas and non-clients to Chagas, and it's free of charge. Um and I suppose the, the overall goal is to try and meet the climate action target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions um, within the agricultural sector by 25% um, by 2030. So I suppose if a farmer signs up to the programme, they do a workshop with either my, in Tipperary, it either be myself in the north of Tipperary or Leonard Bricks in the south of Tipperary, where we will go through the governmental targets that are there at the minute, where we are at the minute and, and where we need to get to. Um, and then I suppose we determine the carbon figure on each individual farm. So any farmer that signs up to the programme, they'll know the carbon figure that, that, that that's on their farm at the minute. And then uh, the farmer, farmer will pick three or four actions um, to do in the future to try and reduce the the emissions on farm, but also to try and increase the profitability of the farm because um, all the actions that are there at the minute are good for the, the sustainability and reducing carbon, but they're also good for, for improving profitability on the farm. That's what the programme is all about. Now, one of the elements within this programme is, I suppose, a computer-based programme as well, and it's called AgNav. Now, can you tell me, Padraig, what is AgNav? Yeah, as you say, it's a computer-based program, Jim. That's it's a collaboration between Chagas Borbia and ICVF. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, they've all come together to to to, to develop this program, um, where a farmer can once they sign up to the Chagas Signpost program. And if, as long as they've done a Borbia sustainability audit, audit in, in the past, mm-hmm. um, they can then log into Agnav and it shows the carbon, the carbon total carbon figure on their farm. I suppose 
ICD, how that carbon figure has been generated. The ICBF have all the stock numbers and um, from the farm already, and it has the production on the farm on the farm in terms of meat, and milk, and then the Vorbia audit would have the the fer- fertilizer that was used on the farm or different things like how slurry was spread and the, the meal feeding on the farm. So basically, it's taking all that information in and it's generating a carbon figure on the farm. Um, I suppose then another side to Agnav is it shows a farmer, if he or she logs in, um, it shows by adopting some of these actions, it shows the, how, 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 how greenhouse gases can be reduced. So, for example, a farmer could choose to switch to protected urea um, instead of canned fertilizer, canned nitrogen fertilizer, and mm-hmm. it'll show for that given farmer um, based on how much fertilizer has already been spread to reduction of greenhouse gases on his farm. So that's one of the things that they can do, and it's a very useful tool for farmers. Now, I suppose on a more practical level then, uh, Podrick, what actions can farmers do to reduce emissions? Yeah, so a lot of the, emiss- a lot of the actions um, farmers will be we- very much aware of them already. I suppose a big, a big area um, in terms of reducing emissions is trying to reduce nitrogen fertilizer but also still go grow the same amount of grass. Um, so I suppose ways of reducing nitrogen fertilizer will be trying to get the soil fertility right in the farm in terms of getting the pH right by spreading the line, um, making sure that the phosphorus and potassium levels are are are, are up to index three minimum. Um, and we know then that like if 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 all them three things are right, um, you're going to get good efficiency from the nitrogen spread. Um, for example, if the pH was is low, if it's low and the potassium is low, um, over half the fertilizer going out in a ton, a ton of nitrogen is actually lost. So it's mm-hmm. very important that the soil fertility is, is got right in the first place. Another way of reducing nitrogen on the farm would be to try and shift the, the bulk of the slurry spread to the springtime um, instead of spreading in the summertime. So for every thousand gallons of slurry is spread in the springtime, you get twice the nitrogen um, as opposed to spreading in the summer. So you'd be, you'd be on average, you're probably getting about six units of nitrogen per thousand gallons compared to three units um, in in the summer. And then I suppose with the slurry side of it, then after switching to the spring, um, the next step would be to try and switch from splash plate to low emission slurry spreading. And then you're probably get you're probably tripling the the nitrogen in your thousand gallons. You're getting up to about nine units of nitrogen per Per, per thousand gallons. So then that, that's a way of reducing the chemical fertilizer that has to be spread. Mm-hmm. I suppose the, the next step in reducing nitrogen fertilizer would be trying to incorporate clover into swards, um, into grass swards. Now, I suppose clover has has many benefits, but it's probably not the easiest action to take. You know, like it, it, it has benefits, but there are challenges with it, you know. But I suppose there there are ways of uh, yeah of, yeah uh, uh, of of, of course. But we would be saying, and you would be saying to any farmer that's uh, receding that uh, they do uh, put clover in, in in any receding they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. you'd be looking at white clover for grazing yeah. swords. Um, probably looking at about two kilos uh, of white clover uh, per per acre, oh. and then. 
and in the back end of the year, it has been shown that many farmers are doing it now. They're, they're mm. able to cut back their nitrogen um, uh, for, for the for the second half of the year when there's when there's adequate clover in the sward. And then I suppose it's getting more and more popular too. The the red clover on silage ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't actually need any nitrogen at all. Red clover on silage ground. Um, it really suits the field that would be cut for maybe three or four times in the year, either for silage or, or zero grazing, because it's not really suitable for 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 grazing. As, as oh, yeah. uh, red clover, red clover with grazing will will actually die out. So, but it, for a field that's been cut three or four times a year, that that um, you can't maybe you can't get animals to, it's it's, it's getting more and more popular. Yeah, of course. Now. How are farmers receiving all these messages that uh, they're getting both on the farming press from yourselves, from independent advisors, the whole lot? Uh, how are they receiving it? Yeah, sure. I suppose I've I've been doing um, mm. I've been mainly going out to discussion groups for the last uh, couple of months since I started mm. this job, and farmers are happy to to engage. Um, I suppose they're delighted to to see what, like you know, if if a farmer puts um, clover into a field um, and he or she cuts back nitrogen in, in that field, um, Agna then can actually show the, the 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 reduction of emissions that that that, that farmer is achieving. Or similarly, if he, if that farmer would say switches the type of nitrogen they're spreading from maybe can to protected mm-hmm. urea. And there's a huge reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, so they're uh, they're, they're engaging very well, and and a lot of them are, are doing a lot of these steps anyway, you know. Yeah. Okay. Now, of course, all this has uh, developed the science of how we are now going to farm into the future, and I presume uh, the science is still trying to develop technologies that will help farmers into the future. Have you any idea of some of the? technologies that we might be facing in the next couple of years i'm not going to ask you what it'll be like in 10 years time yeah so there's lots of research being mm. uh um undertaken at the minute um certain things like um feed additives to reduce methane in animals um we're expecting that will come out in in, in the next couple of years so that that will help in terms of uh reducing methane with cows and, and that will um, cows and cattle, and that will help with, with, with getting to the targets. I suppose another thing is 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 uh, breeding low low meat and emitting cows. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we know that certain certain uh, cows or certain breeds have naturally lower emitting car, uh, methane than others. So there, there's lots of things coming down the line. But I suppose um, from the Chagas Mac curve and the predictions. Suppose we need high uptake in the technologies that are there at the at the minute, along with the future technologies. There's going to be no silver bullet in terms of getting the the reduction target that's needed um, of 25 percent by 2030. Okay, well, look at for this morning, Podic, we leave it there. Thank you ever so much for all the information you're after giving my listeners with regard to the signpost advisory program. That listeners was Podrick Fogarty, who is a climate action and sustainability advisor with Chagas, and Podrick is based in the Nina office. You can't go to the National Power Championships without catching up with the farm leaders. The leader that I had the opportunity of having a chat with uh, is the 
farm leader of the IFA, the North Tip man and with him. Uh, Tim, it was a rough morning here, I know, when we're here now in the afternoon, at least it's a little bit better. Yeah, it was, Jim, I suppose, look, for the start of the ploughing, it was a very rough morning. But look, it's great to see the enthusiasm of farmers and uh, the crowds coming in this morning. And as you can see, it's a lot of people here at the moment. And uh, but like always, you know, it's a great time for me to meet with farmers. And as you know, there's a lot of challenges again. And I suppose to me, it's amazing every year rolls on and there's new challenges, no more than there is this year. And I suppose some of the key concerns obviously today is the delay in, in the payments going out to farmers. No, we should have the ANC payments out at this stage. Hasn't happened yet. And, and the new BIS, which is due out, is going to be uh, delayed as well. And I suppose, you know, listening to the minister, he's saying about that they haven't their IT systems up and running. And, I, look, I don't agree with that, obviously, because well, we were one of the countries that had our cap strategic plan agreed early on in the time last December. So, you know, our department had, has had from last December right up to now to get their systems in place. And there's no excuse for not having that money coming out to farmers. And, obviously, the nitrates derogation yeah. is a huge, huge concern and... So as, as you're aware, we were down in the Horse and Jockey last week and we were in Limerick last Friday at both the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael think-ins because obviously you know, it's a huge concern. I suppose for our own county in Tipperary, you know, we have a lot of farmers in north and south Tipperary in derogation and uh, you know, if we were to lose that derogation, it would um, have huge consequences, I suppose, for farmers. Uh, right around the country and not just dairy farmers because it will put more pressure on already uh, an accelerated uh, land or lease market. You know, we, we've yeah. seen the prices that farmers are paying for land uh, because obviously last January was the first year we were dealing with banding so what that means is a farmer obviously needs more hectares to carry the same number of cows so if we were to lose this derogation it would be a huge concern for us. So a lot of debate around this and um, I suppose the concern was is at the moment that we got a commitment from uh, the Taoiseach last Friday in Limerick that he would invite the Commissioner for Environment in Brussels over to... You know, what we wanted him to do was come over and see the work that farmers have been doing. You know, farmers have taken on in excess of 30 measures since 2018 in derogation. That work is going on. We've seen a, a massive reduction in chemical fertiliser, 15% of a reduction last year, and year to date again this year, a similar reduction of close to 15% again. So, you know, and we all know about the multi-species and the low emission and all the other uh, measures the farmers have done. And you know, our argument here is you know, it takes time for this to filter through the system, see water quality improving. So that's why we want to get the commissioner over here. Uh, last Monday myself, I was in Brussels and I did get uh, a short meeting with the commissioner in Brussels and explained to him again the importance of this derogation to Irish farmers. And I suppose his initial reaction was you know, he, that wasn't the message he was getting. He didn't understand how serious it was and he is awaiting the invitation from the T-shirt to come to Ireland and oh, obviously we're making that point here to our politicians here today again that we want that to happen sooner rather than later. And plus the other point he made to me was that you know, we can do this without slaughtering animals and that's very, very important because you know, we know where we are and I explained this to him as well. Farmers made the decision last January, February the amount of stock they're going to have for 2024 and those cows are actually in KF now so we can't have a situation where 
a minister goes out on his own bat without consultation with any of us and decide you know, he's going to implement a change in the Night West Directive. So you know, that's the key issue here today. I suppose the other areas obviously is around uh, the, the beef sector in particular, the latest suckler cow scheme, you know, part of that scheme where a farmer would have to spend €12 Euros to gain 15 And I suppose what's so frustrating about that, and we explained this to Minister McConnell on numpteen occasions, you cannot be using money that's around, in, put in place to keep farmers in, in, in production and using it for uh, a disease eradication. So, um, doing testing for IBR and if the Minister wants to do that, let him put funding in place for that and obviously the sheep sector as well, over the last year now we've been highlighting to the Minister the low margin in the sheep sector last year, €7 per year which is totally unsustainable and again our point is we have a further submission in our budget for 2024 and we need proper funding around that and as we all know the tillage sector in our own county and right around the country has been a huge challenge this year, both from a weather point of view, the, the, the yield and the quality. You know, a huge challenge for that sector. And again, no, I do get concerned here. The, the minister did set up a food village, food vision, vision tillage yeah. group yeah. recently. And I sincerely hope this will not be a talking shop. Again, we have proposals in there. You know, we need more funding in around the tillage sector. And he himself is saying he wants to see more tillage in the country. But if he does, those... So the tea sector needs to get decent support as well. I suppose, look, finally around the forestry. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even want to go there, Jim. No, no, I don't we think have, we do. We have a scenario yeah. where Minister Hackett announced a, a, a package of $1.3 billion last October. Mm. And here we are now, we're nearly a year around again. And no, it hasn't been fully Im- implemented. A couple of hundred thousand, a couple of hundred million of this $1.3 billion so is all is has been uh, put in place to date, and as was of course we have a couple of key issues around that as well. We want to ensure that this money is going to farmers, and uh, it is ring fenced for farmers, and not going to uh, pension funds or or funds of any description. And I suppose the other area around forestry, obviously, is dash dieback. I know we've had huge debates around dash dieback over the last year, and there's a couple of things needs to happen there. First of all, there needs to be proper funding for removing the, the trees that have died. Or the, yes, these trees are dead. Nature, yeah. They're dead. They need to be removed. They need to be a proper fund for reinstatement. And those trees need to be able to get the premium for the next 20 years. Because if we're looking to have to plant 8,000 hectares per year is the target by the minister, which I don't believe he will achieve or she will achieve. And why would we not give the premium to those farmers to go back in again? I suppose finally on dash dieback, as we know, on our roads, our rural roads in particular, there's an awful lot of trees now, or ash trees that are impacted by ash dieback, and you know, who is going to be liable for them, and the cost of, of taking those trees down, you know, a huge cost there as well. So look, I suppose... In general, that's where we're at. And I suppose looking at the mood of farmers here today, I think in general, look, farmers like to get out for the few days of the ploughing, get around, see all the machinery and come in and have a chat or a cup of tea with ourselves. And I suppose finally, I'd just like to say I'm delighted for my own parish to me, Vera, that we are in the semi-final of the county final coming up. So from that point of view, looking forward to that as well, Jim. We'll wish you the best of luck at that. I want to ask you one question. I went to the uh, Farmers' Journal stand a couple of hours ago and there was a, there was a, a board there. The board had the dates of all the dates that a farmer has to submit something to the department. 
it was absolutely are farmers allowed to farm anymore or are they pen pushers to make certain sure that uh, they can draw down what uh, they're entitled to under the various schemes it's, it's absolutely shocking you're, you're absolutely right Jim I suppose just to say in that first of all there's a deadline when you have to apply but there doesn't seem to be a deadline when the, when the department have to pay which is very important but you're right like the last cap reform and I was involved in this myself and one of the teams coming from our department coming from the EU commission as well was simplification and believe me we have not simplification and you know the more of those schemes that are there now and I suppose the leakage from those schemes as well whether it's the new acre scheme or the organic scheme, whatever, vast majority of farmers are implying the services of either a planner or um, or whoever, yeah. uh, or a consultant, to put those plans in place, to, you know, to put the application into the department, because they're afraid if they don't dot an eye properly or whatever, you know, that they will get a penalty. So, look, I am worried about you know, where all of those schemes are going. So, you know, we do need to go back to the drawing board again and look at simplification because you know, if we want to keep farmers in business you know, the department, and we've been emphasising this to the department for quite a while the importance of those schemes you know, particularly for the vulnerable sectors, let it be the tillage the, the, the beef or the sheep, the sheep. Yeah. they need this payment and it's their money and so from that point of view you're right when you're looking up at the board and you see the array of applications that are there and um, you know, I counted up. I'm not certain now, but I, I think there's nine, uh, not nine applications that, that I yeah. counted uh, yeah. in three columns. I think they all had three yeah, in yeah. each. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's shocking. Anyway, yeah. you have mentioned every single uh, farm enterprise bar your own. Mm-hmm. How are the pigs going? Ah, look, to be honest, Jim, yeah. last year was a very challenging, very yeah. difficult year for yeah. pig production, going quite well this year. And look, I suppose we're like the dairy industry. I suppose, look, we're seeing the pressure on the prices in the dairy sector at the moment. Both sectors are trading on the world market and we're going to see highs and lows and thankfully, look, the pig sector has recovered this year and, you know, is going reasonably well. I suppose just to say on the dairy side as well, we are seeing a dip in the market and there is challenges there and, you know, hopefully and, and, you know, what I've been hearing from the EU Commission is there's a chink of light there that in the spring that markets will start to rebound again and, Hopefully we will see a recovery in that sector as well in the spring of 2024. Okay, well look, Tim, thanks very much for having a chat with us. I'll let you back to the the faithful back behind here in in your wonderful stand that you have here every single year. Just a note for IFA members' diaries. The head-to-head debate between the candidates for president and deputy president of the IFA here in Tipperary is taking place on the night of the 5th of October. That's Thursday, the 5th of October, in the Horse and Jockey, and it kicks off at 8 o'clock. Listeners, as you know, when I go to the ploughing, I always drop into Dairy Master. The leaders, as far as uh, dairy equipment is concerned, as we all know, and probably one of the most successful, if not the most successful, Irish company. And I've caught up with John Daly, and before I came, I was told that they have three new things to uh, launch to the public here at the ploughing 2023. John, good morning and thanks very much for 
taking time out. Good morning, Jim. Okay, John. Now, what have you? What are the three new uh, things you have for Irish farmers and farmers all over the world at this stage? Yeah, well, we're we're very excited to be launching three new products here at the Ploughing in 2023. Um, the three products are, first of all, if I say it's Swiftflow personalised milking is is one, and that's building on our DairyView 360 software platform. This is a new software platform for managing the dairy farming and. Uh, taking the information from both the, the milk productivity data and the health and fertility monitoring data and combining it all together, presenting it for the farmer. The Swiftflow personalised milking is basically taking that data and looking at the milking process for the cow real-time while she's in the parlour. And we're personalising the milking settings for the individual cow. So what, what do I mean when, when I say personalising the milking yeah. settings? So we're, we're talking about individual milking for individual cows. So there's three aspects for it. So first of all, we have pulsation stimulation which is where we give, uh, change the pulsation settings after attachment, and that helps encourage letdown. So we're getting faster letdown off the milk, and that helps to shorten the milking time. We also have then variable pulsation during the milking process, and this is where the, we change the pulsation settings depending on the flow rate from the cow. So when the cow is in the high flow phase, we change the pulsating, pulsation settings to, to better handle that high flow milk and to, to take it away quicker. And then when she's in the low flow rate phase, we change the pulsation settings back again to make more gentle milking. And then finally, we have uh, variable takeoff settings. So we can adjust the takeoff settings to suit each individual cow. So, for example, if you have a heifer cow versus having a, a late, uh, you know, a cow that has after multiple lactations in late lactation, they might have very different takeoff settings. So they're the three elements of Swiftflow personalised milking. And that's our first product. Okay, so let me come back to you then. Uh, you're, you're talking about the, the rates of pulsation. Yes. Okay, so... Uh, when a cow is in full flow, is that a fast rate? Uh, does the pulsation rate is it faster or slower? So the, when so you the get pul- to that stage, the, the pulsation frequency or the yeah, faster or yeah, slower, yeah. we vary that at the start of milking when we're looking for the pulsation stimulation. This is to right, encourage okay. stimulation, but during the the flow phase, uh, it's actually the ratio that we're changing. Right. So the liner is open for longer in high flow. And when you're in low flow phase, it's it's not open quite as long. It's not not as open. Okay, yeah. so that's number one. What's number two? That's number one. So number two then uh, is our uh, DM3X Plus. This is a new rotary platform. New, so it's a rotary milking parlor. This is really geared at uh, large herds. So yeah. it's for us, it's probably more an export uh, market uh, product. Yeah. And and you know some of our customers in in other parts of the world, when you go outside of Europe, you don't have the same family farm structure. We have a lot of our customers have extremely large herds, you know, and three, four, five thousand cows milking three times a day. Really. So, and th- those customers they they require a different set of circumstances. You can imagine, you know, for a typical say family farm uh, scenario where you're milking a couple of hours in the morning, a couple of hours in the evening, if there's service to be done on the machine, or if there's a part that needs to be replaced, or the technician needs to come out to look at some, there's a couple of hours between milkings to do that. With some of these farms and these, uh, they don't have time. It's the equivalent of taking your car into a garage versus the Formula One pit stop. Right. It, if you have service to do, it has to happen very quickly. And we need to be able to take the handle the number of cows that they're been milked in that parlour. It needs to be very easy cow flow, uh, very high cow comfort, so the cows are not stressed, so that they will actually enter on the platform and come off really quickly. Because we're looking at getting a cow onto the platform every five to six seconds. And so the bale design is designed to suit to allow for that, so that the cows are, are coming on with no stress and they're doing that naturally themselves. And then 
because there's so little downtime with you know heavy duty stainless steel and the platform itself is built on our patented rotor glide system so we we really have to make sure that we've very robust uh, setup for the parlour and that there's very good reliability. Yeah, now you spoke about uh, an F1 pit stop. An F1 pit stop now, uh, if my memory is correct and I'm an F1 follower, I think the fastest pit stop this year so far is 2.2. So you're a little bit off to 2.2 with uh, six seconds. So you have to get a bit, you'll have to speed it up a bit. Well, it's good to have something to aim for, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely is. And uh, num- num- number three, John. So number three then is our robo spray. So this yeah. is a robotic teeth spraying for uh, rotary parlors and look we know how important uh, good teeth uh, care is and uh, teeth disinfection from the point of view of reducing mastitis on the herd and that's that's critical for other health and with the robotic teeth spray it allows us to get a closer more accurate spray pattern on the teeth um, so that it, and it's also look at it's reducing labor mm-hmm. if uh, you know farms have if, if someone is there to to manually teeth dip or manually teeth spray this frees up the, the, that person's time for more uh, management tasks and so on Okay, now we're after talking about the three uh, new inventions. Going back to the ones that we've been talking about down through the years, how are you selling on the Irish market? Now, we're not talking about rotaries, we're talking about good herringbones. Sales have been good over the past year. Yeah, sales have been good, sales have been good. I know it's been a challenging year for farmers mm. over the past year with the weather and milk price coming back and so on. And, and look, at there's uncertainty with the, the environmental regulations and people not sure what, what's happening. But we've seen that sales have been good. The expansion phase of Irish dairying is is over, you know, yeah, yeah. but farmers are still investing and still expanding the parlours yeah. from a point of view of animal welfare. So that you know, if a farmer was milking for an hour and a half or two hours, they're still adding on units on the parlour to you know bring that milking time down to, to you know less than an hour, for example. And basically, it's you don't have the cows standing in the collecting yard for as long. And you know, farmers are maybe looking at putting more technology into the far into the parlour. So things like automatic cluster removers and cluster cleans as well for disinfecting the teacups between milk. So, yeah, there's still investment happening, very definitely. You know, we, we, we see a strong interest still in rotary parlours, but the vast majority of our sales would be on the herringbone, on the, the swing yeah. over and, and double up, yes. Yeah, and what about then the, the storage, uh, milk storage, your tanks? Mil- we milk we spoke about yeah. those here in the past as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're going very well too. And, you know, mm. thankfully, you know, every year when I come to the ploughing, um, you know, you get the feedback from the customers and that. And the one thing that people will always say to me is about how, how efficient, how good our milk tank is at cooling the milk, that how fast it is at cooling the milk. And, you know, and that's that's always nice to hear when you come back. As an engineer who's developed on the, on the product, and you come back and you hear those kind of stories and that, it's it's good. But, no, the milk cooling side is going very well. In in latter years, we've added also uh, silos um, in, in the past five or six years. So And they're actually also going very well now also. And what about the scrapers? We have one and of them at home in the farm. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not going to ask how, how long that's been there, but I bet you it's operated for a good few years at this stage. Uh, there since 2020. All right, it's a new, in, new install. during COVID. Yeah. Right, OK, yeah. very good. No, the scraper systems are going well. And, of course, look, they're important on the farm. They're important for helping to keep the sheds clean, keep the cows clean, yeah. reducing the, the labour, the prep that's needed when the cow comes into the parlour and just for good other hygiene and thankfully the scraper system has been a product that has worked very well for Dairy Master over the years and has proven to be very robust and reliable. Now what about the future? What's the future of dairy? As you as an engineer, what do you see as the future? <coughs> 
there's always going to be a demand for, for dairy farming and for milk production and, and good quality food. That's for sure. Look, we all in, in the industry, I know farmers and, and ourselves then as suppliers in the industry, we're all committed to, to making the industry more sustainable. And we need to be doing that. And look, at on the engineering side, we need to be bringing the solutions and trying to, to work towards that as well. But look, the, the, there is scope and for, for growth in the industry. And we as a company would certainly be very excited about how we are going to grow and develop into the future and we think look that there is scope for that here both in Ireland and in our export markets. You wouldn't have any concerns that there's likely to be contraction in cow numbers uh, you know in the next five to ten years? There is of course uncertainty in certain areas and certain farms that are there in derogation areas that, that, that and we will be anxious that the the, you know, the the minister will work and the department will work hard to make sure that the, the derogation that is there will be retained and um, that, that that won't be cut any further but um no, we think overall as a country we, we, we know we produce food very good, very well, and at low carbon footprint. And I think that you know there's new science coming out from Chagask and, and I see it also in, over in the UK where you know there's talks of estimates, maybe the, the, the estimates of the methane contribution from, from dairy farming has been overestimated. And I think that we need to follow the science. And that also means giving the science a chance to show the effect of the measures that have been taken and that we can, you know, if, if we're asking farmers to make changes that we're doing it on the basis of science and it doesn't become an argument of who's right, who's wrong we're actually, everyone's following the science and, and unfortunately I think some of that has been lost over the past uh, year or two years and some decisions have been made uh, too quickly without giving the science the, the chance and giving the likes of Chagas, for example, the chance to, to monitor whether it be the nitrates or understand fully the, the, the impact of the methane coming from, from dairy farming and how that impacts. And we need to bear in mind that as a country, we can produce food with very low carbon footprint and very low environmental impact compared to other parts of the world. And we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bark water. We need to, to protect what we have and make sure that we can build on that as a country uh, and protect this industry that, that bear in mind, does uh, provide a very decent benefit to every parish in the country. John, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you ever so much. That listeners was John Daly from Dairy Master. Thank you, Jim. Listeners, you may be aware that uh, Makra had a new president in uh, 2023 and unfortunately we hadn't got a chance to have a chat with Elaine since she became the president of Makra and Affirma. Elaine, when did you come in? A couple of months ago? I came in as our national AGM in May, below in Bantry in County Cork. Okay, right. Okay, now, for the benefit of listeners in Tipperary, where are you from? I'm from a small village called Atlaca in County Limerick. Okay, so you're still celebrating the All-Ireland, are you? Oh, we're still celebrating the All-Ireland, but we're also celebrating me becoming president. Okay, right, so that, that's more important. That's more important now at the than, moment. Than, than uh, winning uh, the, what, the third All-Ireland in a row? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the fourth. fourth. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we keep to forget uh, when it was. Okay. Uh, from the day you joined Macro, had you an ambition to be the president? Never. Never had an ambition to become president. When I joined Macro, I didn't have even the ambition to become club chairperson. And I became chairperson, and then that escalated into me becoming county chairperson. And then all of a sudden, it escalated for me becoming Munster vice president during COVID. So, yeah. And then. The big step was made and I said the elections are coming up. I said I might as well put my hat in the ring for the presidential race because the only thing you can ever lose is your hat. 
you know, everybody who becomes a president or a chair of a national organisation, they want to do something to make it better. What motivates you to, to build on what has been done by previous uh, presidents of Macro? Now, you'd only remember some, uh, some of the younger ones that are in your red bracket, but unfortunately, I can go back to the very beginning of Macro. So uh, there has been a lot of presidents. Yeah, there certainly has. We're heading, actually heading into our ACSG year next year as well. And sure, I'm president number 39. Right. Um, for me, it's to continue on the great work they have done, but it's also about leaving my own legacy. It's about, I really love getting down on the ground and being with the members. Yeah. So that is the one thing I have great passion for. And after COVID, yes, we did hit a lot. There's no point saying we didn't on our membership. So right now, we're back down, active on the ground with our membership. I want the members to see me as an approachable person, to see me as a person that they can have a bit of fun with on a, at an event. It's not always serious, but of course there is the serious element. But that is something that I'm quite passionate about, is being on the ground with the members. Right. And continuing then some of the good work that John did, yep. uh, in, in, in particular, particularly, you know, trying to get recognition for young people in farming. Now, I don't talk about in farming. I know Makra is wider now than farming, but uh, in my day, Makra was all farming. Yeah, no, 100%. We have our farming side, we have our rural youth side as well. From the farming side is to keep on the pressure on the government to deliver on what they need to deliver. In our pre-budget submission this year, we've put in um, a pilot succession scheme. Um, As some of you might um, have seen, we did a march in April from Athai to Dublin. We walked 79 kilometres throughout the night to highlight that we want a future in rural Ireland. And one of the key key issues was access to land. So that's what gave us the drive to put this into our pre-budget submission. Um, So we're hopeful that the government will deliver on this because we do need to increase the number of young farmers because young farmers are the ones that are keeping rural communities alive. They are the employment sector in some rural communities and this is something that we need everybody to realise. Any other ambitions? My next ambition here, I need to, in, in an hour's time, I need to break a Guinness Book of World Records and right. then after that okay. I'll start again. Now, now, what, you, what record are you breaking? So? The most people throwing a welly at the same time. The most people throwing yep. a welly at the same the time. The current record is... is how many? 792. So I need 800 people to beat us here today at the National Ploughing Championships. Well, I, there's more than 800 people here at the moment. So uh, if I can't beat us here, I'll, I won't beat anywhere. Okay. Well, look, at Elaine, don't be a stranger to Tip FM. Uh, anytime you and your organisation want a bit of coverage, just uh, get me an email or a, a, a telephone call and we look Thanks at Thanks, Emil. I appreciate Thanks. it. Every single county was represented on the local enterprise village at the ploughing and needless to mention Tipperary as one of those counties and uh, as such I caught up with the Tipperary person here and he's Danny Lamb, he's from Clonmel I believe. Danny. I'm from Clonmel, yes. Yeah, Clonmel. Yeah. Now, will you tell me about your product here that has been successful to get through to this as far as local enterprise are concerned? Yeah, it's a new hands-free tackle pad for rugby. It's uh, one of a kind, the first one in the world like it. It basically encourages the tackle height to go a lot lower, it's a lot safer, and it teaches rugby players, men, women, kids, doesn't matter who you are, to tackle at the correct height. Did you play rugby yourself? I did, yes. I played for Cashel. You played for Cashel? Yes. Right, okay. 
Uh, so you'd know the O'Connor as well. Oh yeah, like I know that. the O'Connors very well. Yes, <laughs> yes, too well, too well, too well. Oh, well. Okay, okay, that's good. So you know Cashel well as well. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, and where did you play? I'm a tight head prop. Tight head prop. Oh, yes. You look like a prop. All right. Well, are you still playing? Or not? No, I'm not. No, I'm too old. I'm doing my best to stop looking like a prop now. To be honest. <laughs> Well, it's very difficult to get all that yeah. uh, weight and, and that uh, physical training that you have to do to be a prop. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. But it's worth it. Okay. How do you think our guys are doing over in France? Brilliant, brilliant. But have you seen that ad? It's the Brian O'Driscoll ad there where it says, don't jinx it with the Guinness one. We're not going to jinx it. No, we're not. We'll worry. We'll see how they get on Saturday. Saturday's going to be massive. Saturday massive. And the following, Saturday, the following match will be massive. Yeah, too. the Scotland game is going Scotland to be game, massive. Yeah. Like... It's not the be-all and end-all on Saturday. I know. But, but it might be the be-all and end-all the week yeah, after. Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Like, um, South Africa have gone for a, a massive split, all forwards on the bench again, yeah. one back. Yeah. So it's going to be a physical game, going to be a bruising game. <laughs> but look, let's hopefully we get through it. It's always that way. Anyway, how is this going to help uh, Ireland uh, against the South Africans now? Well, hopefully... Not now at the moment, but no. in the next few years coming up, yeah. it just, I think, I'm trying to make the game like a bit safer. So yeah. all the mammies sitting on the sidelines and standing on the sidelines, they see clubs using these, they're going to think, right, yeah. they're teaching them to tackle, right? Yeah. Teach them to tackle correctly in a safe manner. So I think if education is the most important thing. If we can teach people to do it right at a young age, these aren't just for young kids, these are for everybody. But if yeah. we can get these into clubs at a young age, then it's just muscle, muscle memory they will have the, basically the skills going forward when they're older. So it won't be a big thing like it was for my generation and the lads tackling now to get the tackle height lower. Right, well, uh, if you look at my generation, I don't think we ever tackled. I were always to take the lad below the knees. Yeah, it was, it was. But have you seen the... The, the, the stature of the rugby player now, now yeah. he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and it's just I think it's just it's going around swings and roundabouts isn't it yeah. like rugby changes constantly it's constantly changing the IRFU are trying to make it safer World Rugby are trying to make it safer so a couple of years ago during Covid I'm a, I'm a rugby coach myself yeah. and I have nothing to do during Covid so I thought is there anything on the market that will make this safer to teach kids to tackle correctly and players how to tackle correctly I looked on the market and I could not find anything on the market I looked scroll through the internet everything there was nothing on the market like this so I got my pink and hat on and I came up with this luckily right uh, okay and how uh, you know has there been much interest in it there's no point in coming up with something and nobody had any interest in it yeah no it's it's it's, re- it's really after taking off I'm yeah. surprised by how much it's taken off it's going to countries all over the world is it yes like I'm, I'm selling to USA New Zealand Australia I got an order from France yesterday from a Pro 14 club in France yesterday um, it's gone to obviously the UK uh, Scotland Wales yeah. Italy and obviously clubs over here there's a, a really really good support from all the clubs around Tipperary they've all backed me they've all bought pads right. um, they all see the benefits of them any team that buys a pad comes back and gets more. Does every member on a team need a pad? No. 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 You just you just buy what? Do it really. in the training. Yes. It's just for training. So you can right. go five against five in a grill, ten against right. ten in a grill. Yeah. Basically, whatever you have, if you just want to put pads on half of them. Yeah. Because with this pad, with this tackle pad, the it's basically a more realistic game situation. So that right. the people with the pads aren't just holding the pads with their hands like you do with the traditional tackle pads. They're wearing them. Right. So they can catch the ball, run the ball. This is full movement. This doesn't slow you down. 
and it basically gives the defenders a target area, a visual aid to aim for. There's targets on the two legs, and all the coach has to say is, hit the target, hit the target, and it makes the players go lower. So we're going back to the legs? Yes, we're going back below the waist. Who manufactures it for you? I get them, at the moment they're getting manufactured in Pakistan, but I'm really trying my best to find some manufacturers over here in Ireland that can do to the same spec and really it comes down to cost at the moment I'm a new, yeah, I'm a new business starting out I have to really just try and get these off the ground so hopefully look I'm getting a lot of backing from the LEO Enterprise Ireland hopefully are going to come on board as well and give me a hand with that and if we can get some manufacturing done in Ireland brilliant Will we see you down in the innovation tent here next year? That's the plan. That's the plan anyway. That's, that's the hope. That's, that's the hope. That'll, that'll really set you off. Yes, yes. No, yeah. I'll, that, look, I'm in fairness now, Shane is the local yeah. local rep in the Clomel local office, yeah. and he's been brilliant. He helps me every step of the way, yeah. um, getting grants, getting mentors, anything I need I just give him a call if he doesn't know it he'll find someone who does know it I have no background in business sales or anything like this so I've just come from like being humble a, beginnings yes, I to tell a tight me. head prop that's okay, it now, and before we went on air you told me your grandfather played for Tipperary yeah I'm a, I'm was a, it hurling or football no football he kept in Tipperary in the football okay. we were actually right, a, a right, GAA right. family right. By, by, right. by birth but I changed over to like every right family there. in Tipperary yeah exactly you don't have a choice do you no, 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 you're you GAA don't. by birth you're, you're sure yeah, yeah. look Danny thanks a No, thank you perfect thanks for your time thanks okay Good to be back in the silence of a studio after all that background noise from the ploughing. But listeners, let's hope Ireland do well today against uh, the great South Africa. That, listeners, is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon DeWire presents... Down your way.